Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey there, it's JT, writer and director of Beneath the Cobblestone, a fictional series brought to you by our podcast, The Most Haunted City on Earth. What you're about to listen to is episode two. So if you haven't listened to our pilot yet, go back to episode one, which was published on our main podcast page, October 6th of 2023. If you love this series, consider joining our Patreon for early releases and zero ads always. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the second episode of our radio play, Beneath the Cobblestone. Chapter 2, The Girl Under the Corpses You're back. (laughs) To be fully honest, I'm surprised, especially after such an unnerving ending to the last web I spun for you. You want to hear more about Maeve and her hair-raising adventures? I get it. I get it. And there's plenty of silk to be spun, my little spiders. But before we continue with her story... You need to get to know the two men who raised the formidable, fearsome creature known as Maeve. To do this, I need to transport you back to Boston, Massachusetts in the crisp fall of 1990, where a young and brilliant exorcist named Father Frank Gaust met with Archbishop Creed at Basilica and Shrine of Our Lady of Perpetual Help a meeting that would change the course of paranormal history forever. Multicolored, dusty light poured in through the stained glass windows of an empty church whose walls have heard their fair share of horror stories. Large, ornate carvings of biblical figures seemed to burst from the ribs of the church, frozen in air over choppy flames inside runny candles. Sitting in the middle of a seasoned pew, two men were in deep conversation. It isn't a good look, Ghost, on you or the church. Your Grace, the boy wasn't sick, believe me. Archbishop Creed sat there in silence for a minute, watching the priest play the exorcism through his head, trying to identify where it all went wrong. I had it eating out of my hand at first. Though I was wary, as it almost seemed too easy. The ritual, it was going too well. I watched for that. Archbishop Creed shook his head and ran his fingers through his beard. They said you were too young for this type of work. I should have listened. No, Your Grace, respectfully, you're wrong. I'm doing what Christ put me on this earth to do. Father Gaust placed his hand on Archbishop Creed's shoulder. Creed pulled away, letting Gauss's hand fall and retract. Explain to me how this happened, because decisions must be made, and uh, I need your side. (laughs) 
<laughs> you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. I shudder at no God. Priest of lies. In the room of a centuries-old Moroccan riad, Father Gauss stood before an ancient demon who had a little boy named Hassan in its clutches. The room was dark as a flame couldn't stay lit and the moonlight that streamed in from the window directly behind Hassan was the father's only source of light. Bring me the boy. Put him right here in the middle of us and we will duel this out. Gauss gripped his Bible tight. Fuck you. Coward. Coward? <laughs> you think I'm a coward? You won't even tell me who you are. Hassan canted his head to the right and grimaced. This is who I am. The little boy's jaw overextended, snapping both hinges and allowing the chin to touch his neck. Immediately, Gauss knew there was something very wrong as the average demon doesn't have enough power to snap the bones of those it possesses. He winced at the grotesque visual as he knew that even if he was able to rid the child of this demon, his jaw would never be the same. But what are you doing? Something began squirming inside the boy's throat. His trachea danced like a worm on a hook. Gaust put his hands together and began a prayer. St. Michael the Archangel, be my sh- From inside of Hassan's distended mouth, what first seemed like the angel hair legs of a cockroach wriggled around his tongue. Gaust realized it wasn't a roach, but a massive locust. As it latched onto his bottom front teeth, and pulled itself forward to perch on his lips. Gaust took a step backwards, gripping his Bible harder than ever. At that moment, upon seeing the locust, Gaust realized that this wasn't a normal demon or any demon he's faced before. No, this was... Abaddon, the king of locusts, the demon of perdition, destruction, and the very pit of hell. The little boy's eyes rolled backwards as if in ecstasy upon hearing its name. I've been called that, among other things, but the one name no one's ever had the gall to call me was a coward. Abaddon flew backwards, crashing through the window, sending glass hundreds of feet into the village center outside. Father Gauss ran towards the window and saw Hassan's body standing in the town square. Ah. Unless you're too much of a fucking coward to face me outside of a bedroom. Gauss closed his eyes, tilted his head upwards towards the ceiling, took a deep breath and prayed. Angel of war, I know you're watching. Guide my hand. Gauss opened his eyes and faced the demon straight on. I'm coming. As he stepped onto the bed... Then the window frame, Abaddon stretched Hassan's right hand out like a vagabond asking for change. From the center of his palm, the skin peeled back to reveal black flesh, and from within the wound came the sound of a horn. As Gaust approached the demon, everyone in the village emerged from their houses to investigate the source of the noise. Gather around, everybody! Hundreds of confused people began to encircle Town Square. Parents held their children tight. A dog who escaped through its front door zipped across the square. Clouds separated from one another, allowing moonlight to spill onto every inch of the ground. Witness a spectacle you don't see every day. 
Let the moon light your way to watch this young priest get his ass whooped. Stay back, everyone. It just wants an audience. They all do. This one's no different than the others. Oh, <laughs> I sure do love an audience. But so do you, Father. I wonder if you could guess how many priests I've dragged to the pits of hell because of their narcissistic desires. Thousands. Father Gal stood inside of a coliseum made of people. A baby was heard crying in its mother's arms behind Father Gaust. I'll let you walk away from this, Father. You can turn around and let me do what I need to do. And I promise I won't say a word to your god. That's something only a coward would say. You're afraid of me, aren't you? Abaddon gritted his teeth, lifted Hassan's hand up, then snaps his fingers. Gauss turned around and saw the mother who was holding her baby on her knees sobbing. Then Gauss felt hot breath in his right ear. Abaddon suddenly struck Gauss in his chest, sending him tumbling to the ground. Sand swirled up around Abaddon in tornadic fashion as Gauss attempted to recover from having the breath ripped from his lungs. The wind whipped faster and the townspeople closed their eyes and mouths to avoid being blinded and choked with sand. Gauss shielded his face with his arms and balled up into a fetal position as the sand pelted him. It felt like millions of needles piercing any skin exposed to the air. Then, it all stopped. In a split second, the violence just stopped. Gauss cracked his sand-crusted eyelids and sat up to see that Hassan was the only person standing. With bloodshot eyes directed at Father Gaust, a wobbly stance and split lips, the boy looked malnourished to the point of death. The townspeople sat up coughing and wheezing, also acknowledging Hassan. Hassan, can you hear me? The boy's mouth slowly opened and what seemed like enough sand to fill a gallon bucket spilled out onto the floor covering his little bare feet. Glancing over to the townspeople watching, Gaust saw the mother holding her dead baby in silence. Gaust whipped his head back to Hassan, who's now face down on the ground. Scrambling to his feet, Gaust hesitantly approached Hassan, whose ripped sanded clothes glimmered in the light beams cast by the dark orange sunrise. Hassan! Gauss knelt down to the boy and slowly turned him over. As the boy's back hit the ground, his snap bottom jaw sunk in towards his throat and baby teeth fell from the child's gums. Quickly covering his mouth with his hand, he knew then and there that he'd lost this battle. Ghost. Yes, Your Grace. I need you to know that I believe you. I know that you fought with an iron cross and the good book in Morocco, 
and I know that it's very likely that there was absolutely nothing you could have done to save that baby and that boy. Some battles, neither science nor religion can explain how they can be won. But the church has ordered an immediate dismissal from your priesthood for you, Father Frank Ghost. Gauss closed his eyes and took a deep, calming breath into his lungs. I'm sorry. Gauss opened his eyes to see Archbishop Creed staring back at him with a sorrowful face. Thank you for everything, Your Grace. Standing up from the pew, Gauss removed his collar and placed it into the Archbishop's hand, then walked away. Before exiting the aisle, Archbishop Creed spoke. They're building something. Gauss stopped and turned around to see the short old man slowly stand, grip the pew, and make his way down the aisle until he landed inches away from Gauss's chest. Creed looked around the empty church for anyone else, as if he was about to tell Gauss a dirty secret. Who? The church? No, no, no. This has nothing to do with the church. It's the government. They approached me a few weeks ago, knowing what I do for the church, and asked if I recommended anyone for a program they're building. I gave them your name. Archbishop Creed looked paranoid. Gauss followed his eyes as they danced around the church, looking for clergy who'd come to pray. Listen, this, this program is going to piss the church off. Up to now, we've controlled the paranormal landscape, how people see it, how it relates to God, everything. But this will change all of that, and I'm ashamed to say that I think it's for the better. If they knew I felt like that, well, I'd be walking out of this church dismissed with you. I won't say a word, Your Grace. Thank you. Creed then tapped Gauss' left hand and signaled downward with his eyes. A small envelope clutched in between Creed's wrinkled index finger and thumb entered Gauss' pant pocket. May God be with you. And also with you, Your Grace. Gauss backed up to let Creed out of the aisle. Walking towards the front door of the church, Creed never looked back. The last Gauss would see of his mentor. Reaching into his pocket, Gauss retrieved the eggshell white envelope. Nothing on the front. Sliding his pointer finger under the flap, he unsealed it and pulled a note the size of a business card out. 850 West Boundary Street, Savannah, Georgia, 31401. It read, that's all that was on it, just an address. Savannah. After sliding the card back into the envelope, Gauss looked up towards the warm kaleidoscope of rainbow light streaming in through the stained glass. All right, if that's where you want me. your boy DJ SAB coming at you with some good news. It's Friday. You hear me right? Only eight more hours till the party starts, my little worker bees. Buzz on into those offices. Ask what the queen needs. Knock it out, then clock it out and dive into that pool because it's going to be a scorcher here in the deep south. 96 in November, the Savannah way. No fall because we evergreen. I'd say let's cut to a commercial break, but it's Friday, so let's celebrate. Start moving to the groove and behind that wheel, my Irish city, because I got Sinead O'Connor's new hit. 
Nothing compares to you up on deck. Check it out. 96 in November, Judas Priest. Gauss felt the warmth kiss his face as soon as he cut off the air conditioning. Stepping out of the car, he was pummeled by another wave of heat. This time, it was wet. He wore a black suit, white shirt, and black tie with black loafers. Oh, God, screw this. As fast as he could, Gauss peeled the coat off his body and tossed it back inside of his newly purchased Honda Accord. While rolling his sleeves up, he looked towards the unimpressive long brick two-story building which the address in the envelope led to. Only one car sat in the gravel parking lot, large enough to park a hundred, maybe more. No signs anywhere on or around the building either. Mysterious, Gauss thought. After getting both sleeves above his elbows, he made his way toward the deeply tinted, possibly just black glass door. The only door he saw. There was zero wind and he felt himself melt under the cotton shirt and pants he reluctantly had on. Gauss climbed the steps and looked up above the door to see the number 850 in rusty metal letters. The frame around the glass door was painted a very light blue color as was the door handle which he gripped and pulled. As the door cracked, a gust of cool air cut through the brutal heat, swarming him, and he suddenly felt relieved. Gauss stepped in to see an interior that looked anything but similar to the exterior of the building. The brick walls were lined with what seemed like artifacts, masks, paintings, spears, swords, and animal fur pinned to the brick created a colorful collection of decorations that were dissimilar yet seemed purposeful. The floors were old oak with a beautiful worn finish and Gauss immediately noticed the roomless building was only four large walls and within those four walls from left to right was a kitchen area, then a living room with a fireplace, two beds off in the far right corner a sizable 30-foot-wide library with shelves that reached up to the ceiling, complete with a rolling ladder. And finally, in the center of it all, a workstation with two massive computers atop thick wooden desks and rolling chairs tucked under. Hello? Letting the door close and lock behind him, Gauss stepped further inside down a few stairs into the computer area. The place was overwhelming, yet cozy. Dark accents, wood furniture, and the creamy custard lighting you'd find inside of a cabin deep within a Scottish forest relaxed Gaust, who'd been nervous about this first day at a job of which he had no information. Is anyone here? He looked down at the desk beside his hip, and next to the massive black computer was something that looked like a cylindrical car battery. It had one long silver antenna, jutting out of the top, and on the side it read, REM pod. Where in hell am I? It's a REM pod. Believing he was for sure alone, Gauss jumped at the sound of another man's voice. Standing in front of the library was a tall, eccentric-looking man wearing a velvet green smoking jacket and black tartan pants. Detects changes in temperature and uh, fluctuations in electromagnetic fields. Pendleton started making his way towards Gaust. Handy in situations when you're mapping out the path a spirit takes over and over in a residual haunting. I didn't see you enter. Uh, where did you enter? 
All creepy buildings have a secret library door. Come on, that's ghost hunting 101. Silly me. Pendleton arrived and extended his hand for a shake. Dr. Pendleton, good sir. Gaust. Frank Gaust. I'm sorry about the church and all that. It's fine. Introductions are going to take some time uh, well, getting used to, but, well, being quite honest, <laughs> as cliche as it is, I feel like a weight lifted off my shoulders. Abaddon's a mean some bitch. I can't think of a demon more powerful. <laughs> Anus. Uh, doctor, we probably shouldn't be... What? Well, I'm saying its name and how it's powerful. Uh... <laughs> Abaddon! I call upon you, my master, my lord! How powerful you are, callous beast of the underworld! Gaust lunged at Pendleton, covering his mouth and muffling his voice as he continued to praise the demon. Hey, wait, what the, no, I bow to you, my demon lord. Are you a madman? What are you? Pendleton managed to free his mouth uh, okay, from Gaust's okay, smothering okay. hands for a moment. Mean joke. Joke? Gaust removed himself from Pendleton. The demon is not a joke. I faced it. No, uh, Gaust, look up. Gaust looked up at a wooden ceiling painted the same light blue color as the door frame and handle. What? Huh? The color? Jesus. I've never been good at first impressions. Yes, it's the color. It's haint blue. Haint blue? I've never heard of it. It's a protective color from West Africa. The Gullah Geechee people are the descendants of Africans brought here during the slave trade. This is the color they used and still do to defend against hags and other horrid things. This color... Paint blue has been proven to be the strongest defense against malicious spirits. Gaust studied the ceiling and began to notice pieces of fabric dyed paint blue hung on the walls all around the building. So, what? You're saying this place is an impenetrable paranormal fortress? <laughs> yeah, that's the perfect way to describe this place. And I want to apologize for introducing you to that fact in the worst way imaginable. It's my humor. Which is not a good excuse. No, it's it's fine. Just impressive. I, I'm impressed with the entire design of this place, I guess. Uh, Thank you. Uh, wait, you're the designer. Pendleton began aimlessly walking, admiring his workmanship. Sure am. They got me everything I needed to make this place. I call it the ghost house. Gauss, too, began sauntering around, quietly inspecting the fireplace. It's a, a working title. Gauss lifted his hand, palm out, towards Pendleton. No, I, I like it. It's, it's simple, but effective. I'm glad to hear that, because it's ours. Gauss shot a glance over to Pendleton. Ours? Like, just us? Just us. Gauss smiled, astonished at what he's hearing. Pendleton smiled, too, curious at what Gauss was thinking. What? I don't know. I expected a large team of 30 or maybe 40-plus Running his hand through his hair, Pendleton looked embarrassed. Uh, I'm sorry you're underwhelmed. No, 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 not at all. It's quite the opposite. This is perfect, this. Pointing his finger towards the floor, Gauss' face beamed with the same joy of a person who just quit their office job to make art for a living. This is where I can work. Pendleton clapped his hands in excitement. Exactly. Wait, uh, what is it that we do again? And at that moment, it seemed Pendleton and Gaust made eye contact for the first time as partners in paranormal. Oh.
keep marching on I take it step by little by little Till we make it to the river or it's all but gone We hunt Gauss swiped the top of the computer and a light cloud of dust spread into the air. We developed. With a burst of energy, Pendleton ran over to the wall beside the library, yanked an ornate sword from its brackets, and held it in front of him. We protect. Gauss nodded in agreement. We protect. And from that moment on, Gauss and Pendleton began their work inside of the ghost house, forming an unbreakable bond, riding the six steps and ultimately beginning their work as the world's first PIP team years later in the summer of 1995, the year when they brought the paranormal to the public. They tried to steal my crown with lies Thrown to the darkness and broke inside You can break me down, just know I'll rise one day I'm singing still we ride Success after success, Gauss would head out into the field to defend those afflicted by malicious entities by either capturing or eradicating them. The world knew them as the most powerful PIP team who take on the toughest of DMEs, an acronym that stands for Demonic or Malicious Entities. Battle after battle, they just simply didn't lose. DMEs began to know the team of two by name and feared capital punishment if haunting hard enough to attract their attention. From a paranormal standpoint, the world became safer than it's ever been. 2002 being a year where Gauss was only called out a record five times, a number that's usually anywhere around 50 per year on the lowest end. 2003 was similar. That was until December 1st, 2003 came along, a day that changed the paranormal world forever, the day they found the girl. Still we rise again.